Welcome to the ASCD Connect podcast, supporting you on your journey as a life-changing educator. Here's your host for today's program. To ensure that all students can bring their full selves to the classroom, educators must take steps to counter cultural assumptions about who belongs, says our guest, Suzanne Stoltz. Suzanne is an assistant professor at the University of San Diego, a former teacher and administrator, and a leader of disability programs. She's the author of Building an Anti-Ableist Pedagogy, featured in the May 2023 issue of EL Magazine on social justice. In our conversation today, we're going to unpack how educators can rethink their conceptions of disability and start to implement an anti-ableist pedagogy. I'm Sarah McKibben, ASCD's Director of Digital and Editorial Content, and I'm happy to be joined today by Suzanne Stoltz. Welcome to our program, Suzanne. Thanks so much, Sarah. Really great to be here. To get started, you know, how did your experience as a student growing up influence your thinking on anti-ableist education? Yeah, I think without my experience growing up, um, I wouldn't be doing the work that I'm doing. Um, I, um, I grew up with a disability, and um, I, I always told my students I've been thinking about this since I was five years old. <laughs> And I didn't have language for it when I was um, a child, but um, when I did finally learn what ableism was, I I learned the term and I thought, oh my gosh, that's what this is. This is what I've been experiencing. Um, and so really I can point to just really so many different um, instances in classrooms that I was in that I um, experienced feelings of not being understood and feelings of really not being important and not being able to share who I really was. And you experienced that with classmates and teachers? Yeah, I I think I I I did experience with with classmates, teachers, with folks in the community. Uh, in the article, I talk about my first grade teacher admitting that she didn't want me in in her classroom, and as a child, I didn't know that. It was later that my that my parents told me that. But I think that there is kind of this. Uh, fear around disability as being something that if if it's not your experience it's unknown and um and that fear is felt by kids <laughs> that that fear is felt by uh disabled folks and um and I will say too overall I had a really good experience with my teachers but there were instances that I knew I wasn't part, that I wasn't fully part uh, of the rest of the community. And so um, I, I, a lot of times say I was really blessed to have good teachers, teachers who were well-meaning, but who hadn't had a chance to think differently about disability and, um, and about the meanings that we make of it in schools. You know, so now you lead professional learning for current and pre-service teachers to rethink their conceptions of disability. 
what are one or two myths that need to be cleared up? Yeah, okay. There are a couple of myths that I can think of right away. One is that disability means unable or no ability. And um, that leads to low expectations in schools. That leads to um, not giving young people uh, a true vision of what their potential is. Um, Another thing about disability, uh, a myth about disability, is that it is a negative experience. Okay, there um, are a lot of disability communities and folks who um, share a cultural experience um, and have gained a lot of knowledge about the world because of their experience with disability. Yeah, so you mentioned low expectations. Um, In your EL article, you wrote that as a society, we've been trained to view disability in deficit terms, you know, and that even the best teachers may unintentionally carry that into their practice. How might that show up in classrooms? Yeah, thank you. Um, That can show up in classrooms in a number of ways. One um, in particular, I think, is um, the idea that a teacher might have that, oh my goodness, this student already struggles, and so why would I ask more of them? And I think a lot of times um, work that is not the student's highest at the highest potential is accepted and the student is not pushed farther. I think that can happen. Um, Another thing that can happen is um, that teachers assume what the student's experience with disability is and do not ask students about, you know, what does this mean to you or what value do you have to offer our classroom conversation or how we're going about doing something? Yeah. So, I mean, how would teachers begin to identify ableist practice and um, sort of root that out? Yeah. As far as identifying ableist practice, I think, you know, when I, I start a class or I work with a group of teachers, I always ask folks, do you know what ableism is? Because honestly, I grew up not knowing that word. And I still think that um, most people grow up, get through their whole education and have never heard the word ableism before. And so I think if that's you, then you probably have a little bit of work to do in um, looking for ex- looking up, you know, what have people written about this? Um, there's a beautiful poem. I, I say beautiful, but it's also really hard to read poem um, by Maria Palacios um, called Naming Ableism. And I think some reading something like that is a really good starting point for thinking about the different ways that ableism shows up. And um, so I think starting there, looking at what is ableism, um, and then talking to folks, talking to others about what what sense do we make of disability? Why do we believe what we do about disability? I think those are good ways to start. 
but but for the most part, I think don't be embarrassed if you don't have a lot of experience with this. But there are materials out there. There um, there are ways of connecting with folks to learn more about what this looks like. I mean, what would you say are key elements of anti-ableist pedagogy? I think some key elements to anti-ableist pedagogy really are about us confronting what we tend to consider normal. Um, The notion of normal um, really leads a lot of what happens in classrooms. And so questioning um, who fits into those um, conceptions, I think, is is a really key part of of anti-ableist pedagogy, questioning who has access, questioning who has a right to speak, questioning whose experience matters. Um, So I think that's important. Um, I think in anti-ableist pedagogy, uh, we have to question what our expectations for um, productivity are. What does it look like to be productive? What does it look like to um, contribute and really um, make space for variability among our students and and among our colleagues as well? Um, So those are, I think, are a couple of of key key things about anti-ableist pedagogy. You know, what barriers tend to stand in the way of this form of pedagogy in school systems, and how can educators address them? Yeah, you know, there are a lot of barriers um, to anti-ableist pedagogy just in the structures of our of our schools. Um, we have a system of special education that um, still offers a way for schools to segregate some students into um, separate programs, into separate classrooms. So that's that's one piece that I, I think we have some work to do on. Another um, challenge is, um, is the structure of even what a school day and what a school year looks like. Those time frames often um, allow different people to do different things. And so the expectation that we all meet a certain standard within the same amount of time is not reasonable. And yet we have these structures that um, that can challenge us when we are trying to have all children meet their full potential. So in your article, you say that access is more than UDL, placement in general education classrooms, or even things like wheelchair accessibility. What does access mean to you? Yeah, access to me is more than just physical access, those things that allow you to be in the same room. But I think more about access as how are you able to feel that you really belong there? I think access and belonging go hand in hand, right? Um, That if I mean, I can think of a lot of spaces where I've been invited into the room and still haven't felt comfortable 
talking about what my experience is. And so access is really us finding ways to work together to make sure everyone's voice is included and that everyone's experience is considered. So uh, final question, you know, what makes you hopeful about the potential of anti-ableist pedagogy to grow in education? So what makes me hopeful is that um, I work with new teachers all the time. And a lot of times I present the challenges that schools have, and I don't have all the answers. I don't know exactly what a perfect anti-ableist pedagogy will look like when we see it, right? But I have... Um, students who are becoming teachers. I have in-service teachers that I work with who grab onto concepts and say, this is something I can do better, or this is something. And they always teach me something new. That gives me hope. I also think that um, young people today are finding voice, I think, um, to speak up about their experiences. Um, I think there is a little more uh, media out there that is portraying disability in positive ways. And I think that's helping students be able to claim this is part of my experience, um, which I think the sooner someone's able to do that, um, the more those voices will will be heard and will be part of uh, community conversations. So I think those are things that give me hope. All right, great. Uh, that's all the time we have. To read Building an Anti-Ableist Pedagogy, visit www.ascd.org el and look for the May 2023 issue. Uh, thanks so much, Suzanne. Yeah, thank you. 